Assalamualaikum and salam sejahtera. Welcome to the Putra Road, so we sit down with industry experts and professionals to discuss current issues relevant to everyday Malaysians. For this episode, we will delve into the 2021 budget being debated in Parliament and touch on its welfare aspects, an area ever so critical for the survival and continuity of the Malaysian people and economy today. With us is Mr. Adli Amirullah, Senior Economist from the Institute of Democracy and Economic Affairs, IDEAS. Mr. Adli, would you mind introducing yourself? Uh, good afternoon, at least now, uh, the, the the day that we are recording it. Thank you for inviting me and my name is Adli and I'm from Ideas uh, as a senior economist. So my work has been uh, delving a lot around uh, domestic economy and a little bit on international economy, but mostly on on fiscal side of the economics. Lah. I see. Of course... When we talk about fiscal economy, the biggest thing that we that comes to mind right now it would be the 2021 budget. Lah. It's been very talked about. We've seen the draft of it a few weeks back. And it has really come under mixed reviews from people. There are people who are, who are hailing it because, you know, this is government spending. It's the biggest budget that we've ever seen in Malaysia's history. And uh, that is, of course, the right way to address the idea of a recession, like what we're facing now. But also, it's it's also been criticized for not being enough, not doing enough to actually help Malaysians go through recession uh, in this very critical time. So today we want to talk about how that that translates into the welfare of the people. And since we're on the topic of welfare, a key issue of late would be how the politicking that we've seen in the past few months has put to ransom the welfare of the people. In the past seven months, we've seen the PH government collapse and Tansi Muhyiddin Yassin's Perikatan National government being threatened, all while we're facing the economic repercussions of the COVID-19 pandemic. So looking at it from the people's perspective, just how worse off are people today given current circumstances? Well, first we need to we need to know what are the most concerned uh, when it comes to people on the street. I think the first concern as a people on the street is the money that they get, the income that they get. Meaning that for them to get income, they need job, isn't it? So if there is no job, then there is no income. Therefore, people will actually concern about what is happening. Because as long as they are, they have constant income, as long as they have, they have job uh, and money to feed their family, anything happened to the politicking, they, they will don't give, give a cent to, to know about it. But because of current pandemic, and 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 the decision of lockdown that lead to uh, the recession of the economy, this actually created a lot of people losing jobs or even uh, uh, their income have been reducing into half or even quarter. And that is where it affected them directly. And that is why for them, this is very, very important and crucial because it is, it is their money and they don't have enough money to put uh, food on the table. And to show that how worse the situation is, when we talk about jobs, we always look into the unemployment rate. And, and unemployment rate is a, one of the good indicators to see how healthy the economy is. I mean, you can always measure the economy in so many ways. One of the ways is GDP growth. The other way is inflation rate. And unemployment rate is one of the methods to measure the health of the economy. So for the past decade, uh, for the past 10 years, Malaysia actually have a very very low unemployment rate. We are at the at the range of three percent, average three percent, and that is is very very healthy if we compare to Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, because 
at this 3% rate, some actually argue that we are actually in the full employment uh, status, meaning that uh, everyone everyone is, is at the optimal uh, part of the employment uh, situation. Although people might confuse what does full employment mean, but I don't want to dwell too much in the theoretical part of it, uh, just to make people understand that full employment or natural rate of unemployment rate is actually a good uh, a good point of economy to be at. So for the past 15 years, the average is about 3.3. So if we look into the numbers, uh, latest number of unemployment rate, uh, I think in the second quarter, we are at 4.6% uh, of unemployment rate. And this is actually very concerning. Although there are, there are only increment of 1%, that 1% is actually huge. Imagine 1% of, uh, let's say, 1% of 1 million, that is 100,000 uh, labor, isn't it? So 100,000 people is losing job, for example. And that is a lot. And and uh, it is not something that we should take lightly. And, and it is something that is very, very concerning. And to, sh to see that the welfare of the people is actually affected by the pandemic, although it's not directly by the pandemic, but more, much more directly by the lockdown per se. And of course, uh, that is how people is worsened off today. And again, I can always quote the number on GDP growth rate where we can see uh, negative 17.1% in the second quarter to show that how much the economic activity have been slowing down significantly because of the MCO. But then again, I think last Friday, uh, Bank Negara actually have published uh, the third quarter uh, figure for the growth rate, which is a good sign, which is negative 2.7. And that is actually a sign that Malaysia is recovering. And I hope that this GDP growth will translate into the ground where wealth of the people can be actually uh, recover uh, when the economy is recovering. Speaking about that economic recovery that we'll be talking about, a big talking point now is the parliamentary session of which the centerpiece will be the 2021 budget introduced earlier this month. While it does offer initiatives to improve welfare and the country's economy, it is also being criticized for just not doing enough. What can you comment on this matter and what improvements could actually be made in the near future to actually tweak budget 2021? Okay, so when we talk about welfare, in my opinion, I, I, I am strongly not against, but I am least likely to incline towards a cash transfer where you only provide direct cash uh, hands out through what, what they call that, BSH or, or BPN. And that is actually a welfare initiative or welfare policy. But for me, it is only a for short run. It is only for short term, meaning that people get the money, they spend and that's done. And the next month, we do not know if they have money or not. So that is a problem by itself. So my perspective on welfare is usually to look into how much assistance have been given uh, a welfare assistance is given to our SMEs or small medium enterprise. By giving welfare assistance to SMEs, I believe that these SMEs will uh, generate much more value added and benefit will be given to much more a lot of people. And furthermore, a lot of B40 is actually working with SMEs uh, if we look into that matter. So if you, you ask me about what are the good things in budget that actually I can praise. One thing is is they allocate quite a lot on local entrepreneur, uh, on investing in digital uh, services. And this is actually crucial because when MCO was happened, a lot of business have been have been migrating from the traditional way of doing business to a much more uh, digital way of doing business. And some of SMEs having difficulties to transform uh, themselves to a digital platform because they do not have the expertise. Imagine uh, Makcik that's selling pisang goreng. Let's, let's say Makcik Kiah that's selling pisang goreng for the past 10 years at the Pijalan. Suddenly ha have to close down and have to uh, sell online. 
And that makcik definitely will face a significant uh, turbulence in terms of setting up a platform, setting up an account, opening up a Gmail, for example, because they just doesn't have that expertise. And they need those assistance coming from government, giving more engaging training and also reskilling so that these SMEs can be uh, utilized the digital platform to the maximum and to the most efficient way of doing things. So one thing that I can praise on is the 150 million ringgit that was allocated to local entrepreneurs to adopt digital services. And then they also actually allocated about 100 million ringgit to MDEC to provide ICT training to the current workforce uh, for upskilling purposes. Uh, so this is also good because by putting up a lot effort into upskilling and reskilling of the labor then all this labor can sustain in the long run and therefore that are those kind of welfares that i'm looking at instead of direct cash transfer and if you really want to look into direct cash transfer or direct welfare uh, examples i think one of it that i can put a praise is on the 180 ringgit telecommunication allowance for b40 where they encourage b40 to use uh, internet connectivity for schools and for work and this is actually uh, one of the welfare that actually can project more benefit rather than a short-term benefit this is much more medium-term benefit because family in the b40 will have the access to the internet and and we have the access to the connectivity to ensure that their education and business is not or far apart from the rest of society uh that's the good part on the budget 2021 so in terms of improvement that the budget 2021 that can Uh, be addressed is actually the lack of addressing the structural problem of the economy. You see, when when recession happen, it is easy for us uh, for the government to come out with ABC policy to target uh one two three group of people. But then again, it is difficult for them for the government to ensure that this ABC policy can ensure that one two three group of people can sustain for the next recession that is coming in. Because we cannot expect the government to always jump in, always helping. Uh, when when the time needs if the economy itself is not strong enough to stand because government only have a limited source of funds and limited uh, ability to sustain and if everyone is collapsed easily when recession happened then it is very hard for the whole economy to rebound and, and recover from the recession so the lack of addressing the structural problem is the real concern here in budget 2021 although we can argue that budget 2021 is only for a short term policy but I believe that there should be some uh, expenditure made to ensure that the transitioning of of Malaysian economy from the recession phase to a recovery phase uh, is well spent and well equipped in that manner and one of the thing that I would I can suggest is to have a initiative to ensure that SMEs in Malaysia can remain resilient meaning that they will have the ability to invest in higher technology and also to have a uh, higher innovation to ensure that in the next recession coming in they will not be affected heavily because they are well well innovate and well invested in that manner but we do not we do not see that much in budget 2021 the second one is watch more on social protection as i said just now the uh, the direct welfare such as bsh and bpn is a very short term although it's a short term i think this is also important to be addressed that the short term is where people remain thin one thing remain healthy and remain it's more like they want to survive they they need money to survive because most of the family in b14 kes pagi makan pagi kes petang makan petang meaning that uh, they only have enough money to to support themselves daily so if the economy is in a downturn and there is not assistance by the government the this group of people is the most vulnerable that's why i say although it is short term uh, we need to give them enough and and sufficient 
uh, cash or, or money for them to survive until they can regain or rebound to, through the recovery process. And one of the things I would say is that we have BPN, we have BSH, but my, my comment is it is not enough. Imagine you only give about what? How many hundred ringgit every three or two months? And and you think those amount is enough for, for B40 group to survive for the next uncertain three months? And that is absurd of assuming that they can survive because they have a lot of children to feed. And we can see that part of the initiative that they went from went to is the withdrawal of EPF. And I am very I mean withdrawal of EPF by principle is okay meaning that you are allowing people to withdraw their own savings to spend on their own things in principle is okay but it is it is so sad to see that the government is asking people to use their own saving to save themselves it is, it is very very absurd and funny to, to to some extent so that is uh two things that i can address that the social protection is not enough one thing and the second thing is uh there is a, a dire need of addressing the structural problem uh, in the economy through budget uh, many people have been saying that the m40 is similar to the middle child among malaysians with them seemingly having to ride out the recession with minimal aid does this assumption hold true and if so how badly could they be affected in the months to come with the expected amount of aid that they will be receiving from Budget 2021, which, let's be honest, is not really as much as people will be hoping for. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, at first, I want to share with you guys that the category of income bracket is actually sometimes have been misused in many ways because the original purpose of income category, income bracket category is for policymaker to ensure the targeted policy can be reached to the ground where, where the right people or the right recipient can be received. But when we start to use this as a benchmark to actually discuss about, about policy, it is a problem by itself because the range, the income range within the bracket itself is huge. For example, if M40, if I'm not mistaken, it is about between, uh, I think, three or four thousand to twelve thousand ringgit if i'm not mistaken please correct me if i'm wrong imagine from let's say let's take four thousand to twelve thousand okay four to twelve is it fair to compare someone that earned four thousand ringgit per month and eleven thousand ringgit and five hundred ringgit per month in in one situation let's be fair i mean that, that's the reality although both of them are m40 but you cannot say that the four thousand ringgit is well off uh, therefore m40 doesn't need help and you also cannot say that the one that earned eleven thousand and five hundred ringgit need help because they are M40, isn't it? So it is absurd to actually making a policy based on income bracket per se. That you need to actually include a lot of variables and component when when it comes to a policy redistribution. So to, to answer your question, oh, yes, people might think that the M40 is being left out from the budget 2021. Now, this is my take. M40 itself divided by two big categories. I would say this is my own category. Eh? The first is the upper bound of M40 and the second is the lower bound of M40. So in a layman term, uh, I would say the rich M40 and the poor M40. So this is my own category. Although the Department of Statistics have recommend three layer of M40, but that is a different story. Let, let's simplify it for the purpose of the podcast. So we have two bound, upper bound and lower bound of M40. I would say the upper bound of M40, those group of people that does not entirely affected by the pandemic, meaning that they have a stable job, one thing, they have continuous income, second thing, and they have a relatively huge savings to begin with, meaning that if they lose their job, they can survive for the next three to five months because they have enough saving to do so. So these are the upper bound of M40, meaning that they earn enough 
and they have saving enough. And this group of people, to be honest with you, doesn't need help during the crisis because we need to use all the uh, money that we have to help those that really in need instead of giving those people at the upper bound of M40. Now let's look into the lower bound of M40. The lower bound of M40 is the one that really need help because they are one month salary away from turning into a B40. Ah, meaning that if they lose their job today as an M40 salary, the next month they will become B40 because their salary is now gone and, and they don't have enough savings to sustain for the next two or three months. And this group of people is actually what I meant by M40 lower bound which need help during, during crisis. And if you ask me, is it enough? I would say it is relatively enough or okay instead of saying that it's not enough why i said so because in the lower bound m40 what they need is not cash transfer believe me i say when i say lower bound m40 cash transfer is, is the least help that they should have what they need is actually to make sure they remain in the workforce they remain they have jobs they remain they receive permanent continuous income every month so that they can continue to provide their family with their own standard of living. The key here is to ensure that the M40 lower bound remain in the workforce, remain working, remain receive salary. And what is the government doing through that? Which is the initiative to ensure that the employer will not sack their employee. There are a lot of initiatives. For example, there is two billion ringgit for Penjana Kerjaya where the government actually give initiative for employer to actually employ a new worker or uh, make sure the current employee remain in the company uh, so the government provide a wage subsidy and this is actually what helped the M40 lower bound because they make sure the employer is not sacking all this M40 and the M40 will remain as, as it is and they will continuously receiving their income every month. That's one thing. The second thing is government also spend about 1 billion ringgit for reskilling and upskilling program. So for those that actually earn M40 lower bound income if they are in the verge of losing their jobs because the new norm is happening and their, their work is not up to date to the digitalization of the economy. And of course, this initiative will help them to reskilling and upskilling to make sure they remain in the workforce and to make sure they will have enough income every month so that they can continuously to survive. So I would say it is unfair if we say that government is not doing enough for the M40. I would say M40 should be divided by two categories and we, if you want to see the lower bound category, the one that can help them the most is to make sure they remain in the, the workforce with their income, the current income that they are getting at. So that's my take on the situation of M40, uh, to be honest. I see. Many in the public have been asking for a continuation of the blanket loan moratorium as opposed to the targeted one currently being provided in the budget. In fact, Parliamentarians from both sides of the aisle, you have Anwar Ibrahim speaking about this, you have uh, Zaid Hamidi speaking about this. All of them are asking for it to be included in a revised budget 2021. In light of what is yet to come, what would be recommended at this point? My take on moratorium is that it needs to be targeted. Let me explain why it needs to be targeted. Okay. I give you a very basic examples of policy subsidy. Let, let's take a field subsidy that we have for the past uh, how many decades. Uh, we have a field subsidy where government is provide a fixed amount of subsidy so that people will pay a fixed amount of uh, RON95 or RON97 every, every day, isn't it? 
family, they will have a big car, big tank, and also a very constant usage of a fuel. Compared to B40, they only ride motorcycle where only uh, one liter of tank and maybe a small car, very small tank. So the one that actually benefited the most from this blanket fuel subsidy is the one in the top bracket, which is T20. And I will translate this example into the loan moratorium. Believe me when I say when the blanket loan moratorium happened in the early months of this year, the one that benefited the most is the T20 group. Now let me ask you, usually M40, B40 have loan, isn't it? We have loan car and house. And our loan usually not much. Meaning the car, let's say the car, we take 70,000 lah uh, for the car values uh, that we take a loan from. And then the house, let's say M40, about uh, 300,000 to 500,000 ringgit per month. Okay. So the sum repayment, I would say is about 2,000, 2,005. Okay. Let, let's take 3,000. 3,000 as a repayment every month for M40 family. And that is the extra cash that they have and they can spend it in the, on the economy, which is very true. Now we put it into perspective of T20. Do you think that T20 will buy 70,000 ringgit car? Do you think T20 will buy a 500,000 ringgit house? Make a loan for 500,000 ringgit house? Some of them might be, but most of them will not. Of course, definitely they will buy a 300,000 ringgit car and more than 1 million ringgit house. And their loan repayment is about what? Almost 10,000 per month. And imagine every month they have 10,000 extra. And also they are not losing job and they are not losing income and they have enough savings. So what will they do with that 10,000? They will use it to reinvest in the capital market or, or any any way that they can make more money. And if we continue to have blanket subsidy on loan meritorium, believe me when I say the gap of rich and poor will become even bigger. Imagine at time of crisis, people do not have enough enough income, people are losing job. But then at the other side of the story, the T20 is actually have too much money and they are investing it and earning even more in the next few months. And that is a problem by itself. That's why for me, the best method is the targeted loan moratorium instead of blanket. Meaning that uh, although right now government is introduced the targeted loan moratorium, uh, I still find that it is, uh, it is the implementation problem where uh, the, the bank is actually still charging the accrued interest. So my take here is that we put a targeted loan moratorium, but make sure that the bank will not impose accrued interest to B40 and M40 come bracket. Loan moratorium, the idea is good, but then the implementation need to be improvised, which is not absolutely not the blanket loan moratorium. It need to be targeted and, and those desperate will have the luxury to apply and I really hope that the, the implementation should be imposed without the accrued interest. Because right now when I ask the bank, they actually uh, charge the accrued interest, which is very unfortunate. I mean, as someone that uh, having loan and, and desperately need money, I really don't want to be charged when I want to use extra money. So that is one one of the downside of uh, current targeted targeted loan moratorium like, by the government side. Right. And uh, while all this talk about government spending is interesting, and that's exactly what uh, what is needed in this time of recession, especially given that this budget is the country's biggest, Tun Dr. Mahathir has come to question the government's ability to finance it. Should we, the people, be worried about potential borrowings that may need to be done to make up for the revenue shortage, as what he suggests? 
Yeah, so it is very interesting when uh, everyone is saying that, oh, this year have the biggest budget ever uh, because of COVID or whatnot. Uh, but believe me, every year is the biggest budget ever. <laughs> you try to look into the data itself. You look at the past decade, the past few decades. All Every year, there is an increment in the budget because inflation happened, because government is earning more, and, and for whatever reason, the budget is increased. Not significant, but, but consistently. So uh, I, I wouldn't say biggest budget but i would say the biggest expenditure relatively because we are actually overspending compared to a uh, few few years ago so if you look into the def uh, the budget deficit uh, for the past few years it's about three percent less than three percent so this year we are targeted for next year spending will hit deficit of six percent so this is actually the one what it meant by biggest quote unquote biggest budget but it's not the budget per se but it's more on the expenditure itself so that's one thing meaning that we are on deficit of six percent and we also heard that the government at, have approved to increase the debt to GDP ratio to 60% from 55%. So I want to address a few things here. So the first thing is uh, the idea of government having deficit. So during recession, please know that it is really, really okay for the government to be on deficit. Why? Because they need to spend, they need to save uh, life, they need to save people. It is absurd, it is ridiculous if government is saving money during this hard time where people is dying. So it is very, very wrong if government is not spending more during this hard time. So that is one thing that I want to emphasize. Meaning that during crisis, it is okay. In fact, it is much more encouraged for the government to be on deficit side. Because if they are not in the deficit side, there is something wrong with the mentality of the government. That's one thing. Second thing, do not get too obsessed towards the debt to gdp ratio the 55 percent that we have throughout the years is actually an arbitrary number without back by any theoretical background that's saying that if a country exceed 55 percent we will in the doom that is wrong and that is a lot of fantasy behind it look if you look into a more advanced economy in japan in us in uk you try to search out their debt per gdp ratio is beyond 100% and they can survive, they are thriving and they are one of the uh, big and greatest economy around the world. So please do not get obsessed if our debt per GDP ratio is increasing uh, even to 60%. Okay, that's second thing that I want to address. Meaning that it is okay to spend more, it is okay for us to borrow and to have higher debt per GDP ratio to 60%. So if you ask me as an economist, then how can we measure if the, the government, of if the country is sustainable enough to ensure that the debt is not too much? So my answer to this is to look into the expenditure side in the budget. You look into the debt servicing charge. So in every budget, in expenditure side, you can see the debt servicing charge. Debt servicing charge meaning that how many government pay the interest uh, for the debt that they are owing to anybody. So in throughout our budget, it has been less than 13%. So if you ask me this year, budget 2021, the percentage of debt servicing charge is about 12.1%. So according to IMF or according to World Bank, the best or uh, the optimal value for debt servicing charge should be below 13%, then the country budget should be sustained enough to survive in the long run. Uh, but I would say, 13% is still a very conservative estimate. I, I would say we can even push further to 15% if we really in the dire need of, of spending uh, spending extra in this during crisis. So yeah, to answer your question, 
it's okay to borrow, it's okay to deficit, it's okay to have higher debt per GDP ratio as long as our percentage of debt servicing charge is less than 15%. As of right now, we are only at 12.1%. There are 9% left, 0.9% uh, more to reach 13%. And please, for the love of God, I would I would suggest for government to spend more, to give more to the uh, B40 and vulnerable groups during the time of crisis. Alright, uh, wrapping things up, how would you foresee the situation in Malaysia developing in the months to come? And what remedies should we look into in order to stabilize or improve the welfare and the economy beyond this pandemic as we're looking to recover the losses that we've made during, uh, during the recession and going forward? Yeah. So, uh, so first, we need to understand that every expert or every a world institution out there is expecting a recovery phase next year. So everyone is projecting a positive growth for every region, every country in the economy. And that is the expectation. Again, I say expectation is something that not necessarily correct because it can be uh, it can be changed in a month because a lot of things happen uh, in one time. So if you ask me if what is the prospect for Malaysian economy, I really suggest it depends depends on how how fast that the government and society can accept that the COVID is not going anywhere. So that's my point. If everyone, including us and the government, is not accepting the fact that COVID is not going anywhere and the new normal is the normal that we need to have, then the economy will not rebound and fully or, or entirely because the people is, is holding it back. Because they are waiting, quote-unquote, waiting. The old normal is coming back, which is absurd. The new normal is the normal. And the faster that everyone can accept, we need to coexist, quote-unquote, coexist with the virus, the faster the, the economy can rebound. Because if, for example, right now we have the social distancing, uh, physical distancing, we have all this SOP. If the business is still in denial to take the SOP seriously, then believe me, uh, they won't go anywhere. They won't progress and uh, any further because they are restricting themselves to be innovative to be uh, uh, adaptive with the current changes but if they can accept that they need to coexist with the virus they accept that they need to do their business in a new way of doing things and i believe the economy can move can transition much more smoothly during the recovery phase so that is one thing that i say because believe me when i say COVID is not going anywhere. Even vaccine is, I mean, I mean, even Pfizer have been claimed they have a vaccine and even China claimed they have a vaccine. I can say that even next year, people still will not be brave enough to go out and test the vaccine themselves, isn't it? If you get the vaccine, of course, you have to quarantine for a few days and see if the effect is really uh, working or not. And it is it is absurd if we, we, we think that when, once we get a vaccine, everything can go back to normal and, and everyone can just live as, uh, as of uh, pre-COVID-19. That is wrong. I mean, we need to realize that the uh, virus is already here and we need to accept it, we need to coexist it, and we need to adapt with all these new norm and new changes. So that's one thing. Meaning that how can we how I am perceive the Malaysian economy in a, uh, moving forward. The second question that you ask, what are the things that we need to address? Is is actually simple. We need to address the real structural problem instead of addressing all the little problem that we have in Malaysia. Addressing the structural problem will, in fact, 
improve our our society and economy as a whole. There are three things that I want to emphasize. Uh, what are the structural problems? The first one is our GLCs. Our GLCs have been uh, doing so much at the same time burdening us so much. Therefore, there is a need to actually revisit the role of GLC in Malaysia because GLC in Malaysia have become too big to fail and it is very dangerous. And once GLC is becoming too big to fail, then the government need to build them when they are not uh, benefiting the economy and once the government bailing them meaning that all the taxpayer money is being used to just for the sake of bailing a company that is not making any profit so that is something wrong and need to be addressed so the role of GLC one thing the second thing is the role of civil societies in public service delivery so when pandemic hit we can see that a lot of NGOs have emerged to help all these people in need, isn't it? You can see all the, all the, uh, what we say, all the assistance, uh, all the uh, donation have been made by NGO to ensure that they have they send enough PPE, they send enough uh, food to the to the place uh, of of people that really in need, and this shows that NGO or civil society play a, an important role to complement the government duty in delivering the welfare of the people. So Malaysia have a long way to go for civil society empowerment. If you compare Malaysia's civil society with the US and the UK, we are far behind. And we need to address this where the civil society will play an important role, meaning that government should have a, a mechanism and structure to empower our civil society so that all this civil society can complement the public service delivery to ensure that the role government can actually uh, be be reduced and, and convert into a much more needed uh, place uh, to be spent on. So the third one is the institutional reform. This is where we need to improve our democracy, meaning that even in the next Najib that came out, we can still say that our uh, democracy is strong. We are yet to reach there, meaning that if the next Najib, I mean the next uh, YMDB problem emerge, we still do not have the mechanism to counter it. We still do not have the mechanism to ensure uh, it will not be repeated repeated again uh, of, of, of these scandals. So the institutional reform to ensure that the government is transparent, the, to ensure that the government is accountable for every action that they do. And we have a lot of things to do and to improve in terms of institutional reform. Uh, unless and until we address all these three problems, I would say we are a long way to go in terms of moving forward as a, uh, as a Malaysian economy. I see. Uh, Mr. Adli, all right, before we end, I am intrigued by what you said about how a collective effort of civil society is what we need to have in order for Malaysia to be in a better position. One idea of late that has been put forward would be windfall taxing uh, companies such as glove manufacturers, mask manufacturers. So what do you think about all these companies and what sort of social responsibility role should they play in improving Malaysia's welfare and going forward? Mm-hmm. Look, okay, now people, everyone is talking about tax, digital tax, windfall tax, capital gain tax. Okay, I know, I'm not sure why Malaysian is so obsessed with tax. In fact, we are one of the countries that have a lot of tax in it. And my take on windfall tax is it is too early to tell if it is working or it is not. Because when we talk about tax policy, you need to understand that there will be a lot of unintended effect. What is unintended effect? Unintended effect is the effect that is happened because when we are not expecting it, I mean, how how to say, unintended effect is 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 an effect where whenever we want to achieve one objective, suddenly the opposite objective, uh, happen uh, at the same time, and and that is unintended. For I can give you some example. So let's say 
let's say government impose a price control on certain goods in the market, okay? So let's say they impose a price control on pen. Ball pen costs five ringgit, but the government impose price control on one ringgit. So the reason why the government want to impose one ringgit because they want to make sure everyone can own a pen so that everyone can write and, 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 and for whatever reason, they want everyone to own a pen at one ringgit. But then the unintended effect of it is where a lot of supplier, a lot of seller will demotivate to sell pen because they are not making any profit because the, their cost is three ringgit, but then they have to sell right. at one ringgit, isn't it? So then they they just they just decide okay I don't want to sell pen I want to sell eraser I want to sell uh, I want to sell uh, marker for example and that is the unintended effect meaning that you're making disruption in the market where lesser supply which lead to higher prices in the long run and that is a problem by itself and that is the unintended effect so when it comes to tax okay windfall tax yes of course we can we can tax all those extra vegan profit but part of the unintended effect that that I can foresee as of now is the long term of our capital market. See, if government start to impose windfall tax, do you believe that more company will come to Malaysia when Vietnam is having much more lenient tax in terms of capital market and Vietnam is moving forward faster than Malaysia? So right now, we need to compare with our region because we are getting catch up by all this uh, neighboring country and and it is very worrying because if if every business or every investor think in the same way that that what i'm describing just now then of course we, we will be losing a lot of investment moving outside of the malaysia so that is one of the unintended effect but will it happen i do not know uh, but it may happen and once it happens it will have a lot of trickle-down effect that can create a lot of problems so to tackle this question actually i would say what do you need actually from the windfall tax are you trying to get more money uh, then if you if the answer is yes then windfall tax is not the only uh, source of income the government can get you can go to other method of finding income for government if the second question is to to reduce the uh, the income inequality i would say again windfall tax is not the only it's not the best method to reduce uh, income inequality there i would say a capital gain tax is much more interesting when we talk about income inequality so windfall tax is actually a tax that you uh, project on someone that earn extravagant uh, profit during a certain times and again uh, the evidences to show that the impact of windfall tax is very limited because not not all countries have imposed it and we do not know what are the unintended effects and sometimes those unintended effects might be overcome the benefit that we are intend to have. Thank you Mr. Adli for your keen insight on budget 2021. To our listeners thank you for listening and stay tuned for the upcoming installments of the Putra Rose. As always, stay safe.